We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. We are Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight we are here to break down the All-22 Coaches film of the Giants offense in their Week 5 loss to the Dallas Cowboys to answer some Big questions on the offense, both 30,000 foot view questions and individual questions based on the film we saw this week. As a general note, we are now accompanying these All-22 film podcast analysis with an All-22 film breakdown on our YouTube page. So please, if you haven't already, go check out the 30-minute video we did on YouTube. You can find it by going to YouTube, typing in Big Blue Banter. You'll see our logo. Hit subscribe. Please subscribe to the channel. Please like the video and check out our video breaking down Kadarius Tony's breakout performance. We did the All-22 Coaches film, the end zone angle, the sideline view. We broke down the plays. We gave it the same analysis we give here, but with the actual video to support it. So go ahead, check that out next time you head over to YouTube. Please, as always, rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify. But otherwise, we're going to dive right into this All-22 Coaches film, Nick. Uh, but, but first, before we do that, we haven't checked in on the life of Falado lately down in Arizona. Very unique place to live. Any news, Arizona? News, Arizona. I mean, it's beautiful out here most of the time. It's been really windy the last couple of days, but 
Now that monsoon season is over, it's now overly hot. 95 degrees is beautiful weather here because it doesn't have insane amounts of humidity. So I'm enjoying life out here, but I'll always miss New Jersey. I'm Jersey born and bred. Love New Jersey. So actually, I have a funny bit though, Dan. Being from New Jersey, I found this hilarious. I went to one of the local supermarkets out here, and in the ethnic food section was all the Italian food. And that made me laugh my <laughs> ass off because That's being so from great. Yeah, being from New Jersey, you would never classify Italian food as ethnic. You would never find Italian food in the ethnic section in New Jersey. You'd be, you know, it'd be offensive almost if a grocery store put Italian food in the ethnic section in New Jersey. And to some people, I guess it would be offensive. Um, and so that's just really funny to see down there. What, where, I guess, I guess, what kind of things do they have in this Italian ethnic section? It's all their pasta and sauces, bro. Okay. Probably your favorite okay. Prego sauce, to be honest, too. Oh, geez. I can't even imagine anyone using that in 2021. <laughs> but listen, Life of Dan Schneier is going to get hectic in a moment. Fun hectic. I'm going out to Vegas. going to be working out there. We're going to be checking out the Blue Wire studio. For those who probably don't know, but you should know because it's on every single podcast. Blue Wire is our host company, hosts our podcast. They built a studio out at the Win hotel out there in vegas so i'm really excited to check out the studio we'll be recording the big blue banter podcast next tuesday's all 22 film i will be recording from the studio out there so that i'm excited about i'll be out there uh with some friends for the weekend and then uh rooting on my cousin who's competing in the world series of poker and i might be playing and not the world series of poker because that won't work in my work schedule but i'll be rounding those cash game tables at night uh after work trying to find the juiciest action uh which i've heard it's been many different places there, but I'm looking for a specific game. It's that big O five card high low game. And so I've actually found on the poker Atlas app or not poker Atlas Bravo app. They got it in the Amazon room at the world series of poker at the Rio. So I'll be frequenting that. I'll let you guys know of anything good that comes of that. Hopefully the giants can have Daniel Jones this week. So it'll be a fun all 22 to do next week. Yeah, I hope so, man. I didn't even know you were going to be out there for Tuesday show. I knew you were heading out to check out the studio, but that's really dope, man. You got to let me know how that is. Yep, without a doubt. I will. I definitely will. All right, let's dive into this all 22 film of the offense. Kick this bad boy off by, I mean, like I said, I mentioned we're going to get into some 30,000 foot view stuff. I have some big questions on the offense that I want to ask you and then spark conversation off of Nick. But let's start by doing it the way we've been doing it with the drive by drive stuff. So let's start with that first drive. Uh, anything key that stood out to you? For me, this first drive, while it didn't work, I'll start out by saying, I like that they came out in 12 personnel. I like how Barkley actually got vertical on the first one. I don't want to say for once, but it's not uncommon for what we normally see from him from a mental processing standpoint for that. He wouldn't get vertical. He tried to balance it out. This one he got, he decided really fast, really decisively that he's going to need to plan his foot, shoot forward. Remember, this is a 235 pound all muscle back. He can create four yards here out of a nothing hole. And this was a nothing hole. There are mostly nothing holes with the state of the Giants offensive line as far as the interior goes. And he found four and he got them into a second. I think it was five, actually. Got him in a second five there from the Dallas 36. Love that from the first drive. I love that they were taking a vertical shot on second five there, especially getting John Ross there with a middle field close safety. Exactly what you want. Jones was a little off. With this one, this one, there were throws that he was rushed on because of the protection. This was not an example of that. Jones was just simply off on this throw. Um, also off later on the Barkley throw. I wish he put a little bit more air under this one, Nick, uh, to let John Ross run under it. 
but that's really never been Jones's long ball technique, and he's pretty good with the long ball, so I'm not going to knock him too much. He's really just more of that on-the-line throw. You saw it on the Ross TD last week, and that was a good decision because, and uh, I mean, that was a good thing. If you put more air under that one, it wasn't going to be completed. The safety makes a play on it. Through that one on line, obviously the one to Slayton from Washington would have been better with air under it. Same with this Ross one. Then finally on third and five, man, this was a tough rep to watch for me, Nick, and I want to get your thoughts on this one too because, man, Nate Salter just Salter just walked back into Jones. He's just walked back into Jones in this one. And this is actually a really good design by Jason Garrett. There's an easy solution on third down here. Third and five, great way to start the game. Interception by Lorenzo Carter on the tip pick. Get points on the board. Aggressive, and it's fine here. They find a play. They find a solution here. Galladay's wide open over the middle there. Wide open. I believe it was Galladay. It was either Galladay or Ross. It was either 12 or 19. You can correct me on, I think it was Galladay. It was Galladay. And he's sitting in that zone. But he can even create yak after that. We saw you know, Galladay create great yak plays against the Saints. He could create yak after this play. But Jones is forced to leave his spot instead of scanning back to the left where Galladay is. And I'm sure the play is designed for him to go through his progressions back to Galladay. But when you're forced to escape right, he escapes right. Actually puts a decent ball on Tony that could have been caught. Maybe not. But, man, you just – Soldier just ruins this play. And Soldier just – he can't be out there anymore. He's, I, I can't imagine an offensive tackle playing worse than he played in this specific game. Yes, Older was terrible in this game. There's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But that specific play on third and five is actually designed to Evan Ingram. They motion him inside to be the number three, and they motion him back out to basically stack underneath Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay is clearing out the middle of the field. This is just a simple follow concept. Galladay is going to clear out that linebacker. We saw this earlier in the season as well. Evan Ingram is going to come in and follow that route, and there should have been a void in the coverage, but it wasn't man coverage there. It looked more like some sort of zone coverage, some sort of cover three match or something. And Galladay runs and crosses the face of the linebacker, but the linebacker senses Evan Ingram's route and sits in that hole. Daniel Jones, by the time he realizes that, he realizes he also has to flee the pocket. This cut, this should have been a catch by Kadarius Tony. It wasn't a perfect ball, but it was good coverage by Trevon Diggs. Great, I would say, processing from Kadarius Tony to come back, realize Daniel Jones needed help, find space, get open. You just got to complete the catch there. But this has been the Giants through 2020 right here, Dan. 2021, I'm sorry. This has been the Giants. They, they get into a situation. The, def, like, the defense has been terrible relative to what we expected. But the team is in a situation where they can possibly get in a field goal range or pick up a third down and it's key play. And then one or two mistakes happen and the Giants have to either punt or force a long field goal attempt. I feel like the Giants have found themselves in this situation in almost every single game. And Parsons also did a great job on that third and five, just ensuring that Jones couldn't end up picking up the first down, forcing Daniel Jones to throw the ball to Kadarius Tony. But again, Tony should have caught the football there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Tony should catch that football, of course. But, you know, I'm not going to totally blame Tony. It's not the perfect throw. And then and then the decision here on fourth and five to kick the 54-yard field goal. I guess with Gano as your kicker, it's fine. I would go for it here. That's my personal decision. But Again, I guess I'm fine because Gano's been kicking well. They missed the field goal, and that gives the Cowboys incredible field position. Cowboys turn that into three points. Giants get the ball back. And on this second drive, it's just a pure-ass three and out. So on the second drive, a couple things that stood out to me. One, man, just such bad luck, that Barkley injury. Like, Giants go empty on first down here. I love it. And I keep talking about how much I run it. And they just run a simple slant flat here, like with Barkley. And Barkley gets space. Like, if Jones layers this ball and hits him in stride on the money here, Barkley, who knows how far he could take this. But 
Jones, the beginning of this game was just off, man. The throw to Tony, and I mean, sorry, the throw to Ross on the first drive, and this throw to Barkley was off, and then just like totally unrelated to the play here. You you see, you know, Barkley get tripped up, ankle gets blown up, and he gets injured here. But again, love the design here to go empty here. Even the times it hasn't worked, like this one, there's been a clear and obvious situation where, okay, if the ball was thrown well, it's a big play. And even on the one that, like, where it was an okay ball, ball to Galladay early in the season when they went uh, empty with five wide, that vertical that he just missed that he was kind of had his left arm held down on and probably should have been called defensive pass interference. Still a great opportunity. It's still so much better than running curls and sticks. Like you have a chance to get 35 yards. Like if you get one of every three 35 yard connections versus connecting on two of three six yard curls or even three of three six yard curls, you're probably winning there. So love the love the fine play call here. Just bad luck. And then, man, that second and long call, dude. Like I get it. Like you're a bit shell shocked from losing Saquon Barkley, but. This is too much. This is just too much of Garrett's like in his like uh, I put this one on Twitter, Nick, as well tonight. This is too much in his wheelhouse. I feel like when Garrett gets in these spots where he's a bit shell shocked or they just create a big play or they miss a big shot on first down, he's kind of tense that this is kind of his go to get in a heavy personnel, get into a tight formation, motion that wide receiver back. Motion that this is the part I hate the most motion that wide receiver back and then <laughs> to block and then run the ball right up the middle obviously on this one, obviously the receiver is the guy who gets his block beat. It's John Ross. You're motioning Ross back to block the end man. What do you expect? This guy is a burner, a small receiver burner. You cannot expect him to block the end man. The end man makes the play in the backfield. Terrible play set up the third sets up the third and long where the giants, obviously on this play, it's another one where the left guard gets killed early. Jones is forced to escape from the play and kind of throws it back to Galladay. This is the play Galladay gets hurt on. So just a super unlucky drive. They lose God. They lose Barkley. They don't lose Galladay, but he's injured the rest of the game plays through it isn't himself but that second and long play they need to throw that out of the playbook nick and I, and at this point man i i don't see a devil's advocate for this i don't see a rationale i'd love to get garrett in a film room and say look this is the play you've run this is how many times you've run it this is the yardage you've got because i don't have the numbers on this nick but my guess is it's something like 16 carries for 23 yards that would be my guess like 16 for 23 and it's just it's unacceptable i don't even understand the rationale for it a lot, of, a lot of NFL offensive coordinators do it. Sean McVay does it often with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Uh, Pat Shermer used to do it a lot with the Giants as well. I'm not a huge fan of it. I thought it was interesting, though, having Caden Smith as their right tackle on that same side with John Ross there, and they moved Matt Parrott next to Nate Solder along with Kyle Rudolph, just forming a really, really unbalanced alignment, big personnel and then that first down play, you're right. I love the three-by-two set, slant-flat combination, just incredibly unlucky, Saquon Barkley. And then that just seems to be the Giants' luck not to get on a soapbox or anything like that. The Giants are in this position because of a lot of different variables, but luck hasn't necessarily been on their side. And the fact that he ended up just stepping on an opposing player's foot oh. and rolling his ankle, it's like that is just a tragic bout of just crappy luck right there. It really is. And so the next drive, this was, by the way, it's now 3 nothing. Giants punt. The Giants are unable to capitalize on any momentum from that fumble. And it's backed up in their own end zone. I get it. But three and out on this next drive. What did you see on this uh, three and out drive? Daniel Jones tried to get the uh, zone read going with the RPO. Kenny Galladay kind of took a little bit long to uncover. So Jones just decided to keep the football on that second and six play. Picked up three yards to set up the third and three where... Daniel Jones attempted to hit John Ross on a deep 
out route, I believe it was. It was like a fade towards the sidelines. The website we're using says it's an out route, but it was just a simple stack. John Ross was the number two receiver on the line of scrimmage. Hard inside jab foot releases towards the numbers and outside up through the sideline. Gets a one-on-one matchup against the cornerback. Center field player cannot get over there. And Daniel Jones just flat out misses him. And as we said a little bit earlier, Dan, Daniel Jones missed several throws in this game. A couple to John Ross. The the one that Kadarius Tony was catchable, in, in my opinion. The one to Saquon Barkley. I don't know what the heck happened there. Daniel Jones definitely had the jitters heading into Dallas this week. Yeah, it wasn't a great uh, you know, follow-up performance on the breakout or what seemed like the breakout against the Saints. You know, there's a lot of Daniel Jones discussion. This is going to be something we're going to have to evaluate all season. I know a lot of people coined him as the franchise quarterback after the Saints game. Me, personally, I love what I've seen from him in that Saints game. I'm higher than him than I've been. Like I said, I'm higher on him than I've been since week one of his rookie season, or his first start, I should say, his rookie season. But I've made it clear, and I'll make it clear again. I need a 10-game sample size before I say I'm ready to move forward with him. I need a larger sample size than one half against the Saints. And I know he played pretty well, by the way, in the game before, so I'm not saying it's just one half. But I still want a 10-game sample size of, of it. I need to see a lot of film on this before I'm ready. I was not at the crown point yet. I know we've been, as fans over these last couple of years, we've been very quick to crown a lot of people. And yet the Giants are simply not winning football games. So the crowning doesn't seem to have worked. And I'm just going to wait on that. But again, I am still very high on Jones. This was just, for some reason, a, a bad start to the game for him. He just didn't seem to be settled down. And now we get to the next drive because after that, the Cowboys obviously score the touchdown to go up 10 nothing. And as usual, it seems like, you know, <clears throat> once the Cowboys get a lead, it feels like the Giants put more pedal to the metal there. And you get a really nice play from Jones on this drive. So we'll talk about that. But I do want to talk about the first down play first, Nick, because this one was just mind boggling to me. I'm just kind of wondering your perspective on this, Nick, because it seems to me from watching this play over a few times here that they should have slid the protection to the right before the snap. Um, and I don't know who that's on. It might be on the quarterback. And I'm not exactly sure, but they end up coming out here with a seven man pass protection against the five man pass rush. Like if you have a seven man pass protection against a five man pass rush, you should win. You should be able to give your quarterback time. Like there's only three receivers running routes. All are covered, obviously, because the Cowboys have seven guys. They're able to drop, sorry, six guys in the coverage against three routes. So the only one that's possible is the Galladay comeback here, uh, the Galladay deep curl comeback, whatever you want to call it. And that requires timing, but Jones isn't given this timing because the running back does a pretty decent to bad job of chipping. And the center is bull rushed back and then just totally loses uh, you know, his assignment. And Jones is forced to kind of rush his throw, doesn't have the time needed, and he misses high to Galladay. Now, could Jones throw a better ball despite not being on time, despite not having perfect protection? Yes, but still, man, how do you have a seven-man pass protection and lose to a five-man pass rush? Easy. You have two players on the two guys who slant towards the three-technique position after the snap. 93 kind of comes in. He looks like the edge. That's Terrell Basham. Right before the snap, before that, he's over Matt Pair, but right before the snap, he goes right to Will Hernandez and then occupies Matt Pair and Will Hernandez two on one. On the other side of the line of the scrimmage, the three technique is number 91. You have uh, Wes Martin and Nate Solder both take him, and that creates a bunch of one on one matchups. This is really, really good on Dan Quinn's part. One of those one on one matchups is a blitzing defensive back, number 27, coming right in on Devontae Booker on the edge. Typically, you don't want 
your running back taking on players on the edge like that. You typically want your running back to kind of fill the B gap, take on those linebackers. But in this situation, it's okay because it isn't, you know, a 260 pound edge player. It's a smaller type of defender, but still there's a lot of space for that defender to get around that block. Devontae Booker does a solid job cutting him at the knees and slowing him down. But Billy Price is in a one-on-one situation against that one technique, and he just loses to that inside shoulder and gets bull rushed right back into Daniel Jones. You have to win your one-on-one matchups here. You do. And I get it, man. This is a seven-man protection. You have two of the tight ends, though, the, the double Ys on the other side opposite of the blitz, and they're just kind of standing there looking at number 59. Exactly. <laughs> that was exactly my problem with the play. That needs to be handled pre-snap. That, that there's right. nothing you can do post snap at that point. There's no way that those tight ends can get right. over and, and slide over. That all needs to be handled pre-snap and you need Matt Pear to be able to kick out, but it was a really well-designed blitz by Dan Quinn to have 93 align outside of Matt Pear and then right before the snap with good timing, he shoots inside to take away two blockers, create that isolation on Devontae Booker and an isolation on Billy Price leading to Billy Price mainly being the culprit losing his rep. Devontae Booker, I mean, that's, that's a solid pass blocking rep. Yes. I mean, you can't do much more than that other than you would like him to clear him off his feet, I guess you could say, but it's effective enough. And Daniel Jones still doesn't really have the time in the ball. It looks like him and the receiver, uh, Kenny Galladay are a little bit uh, not in sync. And Daniel Jones, like we said earlier, was kind of just out of rhythm all game until he was injured. And Javon Diggs, this was the first time he almost came up with an interception. And so that was my question pre-snap. This clearly needed to be done, dealt with pre-snap because you can even see it on the all 22 after the, the ball snap, the tight ends look like they, yeah, Evan Ingram has no clue what he's doing. He doesn't know. There's no one to pick up for him to block. He tries to then kind of work inside like to help. So is that on the quarterback there? Is that on Jones? Jones needs to kind of see the blitz and kind of better process it and then adjust the protection. I am not a hundred percent sure. You're, you're talking about Kyle Rudolph though, not Evan Ingram. Uh, Ingram sure. Yeah. Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, I'm honestly not hundred percent sure who is in control of the protections here. I would imagine Jones has some say in the second year in his offense, but I can't speak with any certainty on sure. that. Okay. Fair enough. The second down play is the throwback screen design. We talked about on the Kadarius Tony video. So if you want a breakdown of that play, go check out the Kadarius Tony, uh, breakout film review. We did of him on YouTube. You'll find it there. Uh, great play. We liked it, but it did set up a third and long because there was a misconnection there with Booker. Um, this third and long play, another pass pro breakdown. This just seems like the constant story of these first three drives or first four drives. I'm sorry, pass protection breakdowns. But Jones off his back foot, try gets the ball pretty far downfield off his back foot. It's obviously a heave. Tony, I think, does an excellent job making a contested 50 50 catch here. We broke this one down on YouTube right. as well. So if you guys want to see the visuals, check it out. But I, I love this third down play from Jones and Kadarius Tony. Great play call by both Jason Garrett and Dan Quinn as we broke down. Because the Cowboys, man, they ran two ET stunts with the delay blitz from Micah Parsons. The protection completely broke down, and Jones had to roll to his right and fire that pass to Kadarius Tony, who was manned up on that beautiful out-and-up route. And Garrett calling the out-and-up first man coverage. He had two receivers open on this play. And Jones somehow got that football off to Tony. But he also had, I want to say it was Kenny Galladay at the bottom of the screen, but it could have been John Ross, who was also open on that play. So I really like that specific play call against man coverage, especially in a third and 10 situation. You fake the out at the 10-yard line. The cornerback reacts, tries to get to that near hip to kind of disallow the catch. But in reality, it's a bait, and you're turning your hips and getting your head whipped around to the inside and then running a nine route, turning it into a vertical and gaining leverage vertically. So I really like that play call from Jason Garrett. But the Dan Quinn stunts really manipulated the crap out of the protection package of the Giants, which, 
I mean, can you be shocked, Dan? Can you be shocked? We have guys like Wes Martin in the game at this point. Like, <laughs> what is going on? The, the the Giants' offensive line is so beat up right now, and to begin with, their personnel wasn't great heading into the season. And they are down Andrew Thomas. They are down Nick Gates. They are down Shane Lemieux. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's a bad state of affairs. I do feel like it is odd, though, Nick, that like for the past decade, it feels like they haven't been able to pick up these TE stunts. Like at some point, I put it on the coaching or something like these aren't like the most. Yes, I agree. Dan Quinn did some unique things with these, but some of these that I watched were just like classic stunts that just seem to be just like these guys are just lost on these plays or they're just off balance. They get bull rush. They just they don't have the strength at the point of attack like someone like Nate Solder. And so it was frustrating to watch all game. I'll be honest with you, but. That play took them down to Dallas 37. 
this drive bogs down though on a third and six. And I felt like Nick, that third and six kind of got back to the old school 2020 Garrett on that third and six. He's expecting a player to win on a stop route within five yards where we know a cornerback can use his hands legally. And he does. And so Kenny Galladay really never has a chance at this. He's locked up with the corner legally because it's within that first five yards. And it's a stop route, right? At tr- right. Even before the sticks and, Bounces off his hand, bounces off kind of the tangled hands, and they're forced to try to kick a field goal. Don't love this third down call here. It felt a lot more like the old Garrett. Absolutely. All the receivers, there were two in routes from the boundary side, and then an in route from the number two receiver at the sticks. And the Cowboys are draped all over in man coverage. Cover one right here, it looks like, all over the Giants receivers. It's really not much Daniel Jones could do. I, you don't like seeing this from a two by two set. This is vintage 2020. Right. Jason Garrett, right? <laughs> and so then it's 10th. Uh, so then they kick the field goal. Gano hits from 51 after missing 54. And we roll into 10, three. This is a ball game at this point. Obviously Daniel Jones still in the game at this point ball game. And the giants actually force a three and out sort of, I mean, they forced them the fourth and one, the Dallas in, in, in other games might've gone for it. I know it was on their own side of the ball, but the giants were not stopping any fourth and fourth and shorts against this offense in this game. Uh, but they punted, so they force a three and out. And that's when this giants go on this third, 12 play 88 yard touchdown drive. The one obviously where Jones gets hurt on, but there's a lot to talk about because this was a game at this point when they went on this drive. They backed up at their own 12, and they found a way to go on this long drive. So talk about some of the plays that stood out to you, and then I might talk about some that I thought were excellent on this drive. Absolutely. Kadarius Tony, you really saw the impact on this drive. Had a few great catches, the third and four, where he somehow evaded the three defenders and got to the one-yard line. I mean, that was an absolutely insane play to find space in tight quarters against a cover-three buzz look from Dan Quinn, something that – he ran free, frequently with Seattle and as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And he also, Kadarius Tony caught that drag out of the bunch earlier in the drive. And then on the next play was, a, uh, I think it was a first and five after too many men on the field against Dallas. And Garrett used him as the fast three, which vacated the linebacker from the middle of the field and opened up space for Evan Ingram on that quick little slant route that we broke down on YouTube as well. Evan Ingram picked up 18 yards on that play. He could have possibly got vertical and got even more as also, I mean, there were beautiful blocks on that 14-yard run by, by Devontae Booker. Uh, Parrott and Hernandez cleared the Cowboys defenders and made a very nice hole on that play. We're not going to be talking probably in high praise of this offensive line in general, but I thought that was a really well-blocked-up play, specifically on the right side of the line of scrimmage. And I also love the up-tempo nature after the 28-yard gain by Kadarius Toney. How did you feel about the goal line situation, Dan? Now, that's that's something I kind of wanted to uh, pick your brain about and see what you felt about the uh, same look three times in a row and if Daniel Jones actually just made an executive decision and kept it himself because that's what it seemed like to me on first glance. Yeah, let's a lot. Let's get into that. There's a lot of talk about. There's a lot to talk about from this goal line series because it did change the entire game. I mean, from the Jones injury to the fact that you know we saw some things there that we didn't like. But I do want to shout out what you said, man. There's a lot of good on this drive. That Booker 14 yard run was the best run, best blocked run play I've seen from the Giants in a long time, and it was also the best processing I've seen from a Giants running back in a long time. I know it's painful to hear for some. I know it hurts to hear. But I'm not positive that that goes for 14 with Barkley in the game. I'm sorry to say it. I thought Booker did an excellent job of processing where to be 
on that play and read his blocks perfectly. He had patience and then shot up that hole vertically. And so thought that was excellent. I want to give him a shout out. We talked about the Ingram play, by the way. This was an 18-yard gain, just perfectly designed. We talked about it on the Tony video. Using Tony as your decoy, getting him open. And then obviously, as you said, Tony, man, did some did some awesome things. We talked about, obviously, the 28-yard uh, after the catch play by him on that whip route to get to the two. But we get to the goal line here. And there's a lot I don't like about this goal line series, Nick. I'm going to start by saying this. You mentioned the number one thing to hate here, that they're giving the same look three times. It's very typical of Garrett when they get down. The red zone offense from Garrett is really where he's at his worst. And I'll pin it on Garrett a little bit. I'll pin it on Judge a little bit. I'll pin it on everybody, the execution. But really, I haven't seen too many red zone offenses. And again, I'm only really watching the primetime one-off island games. I'm not really watching film of many teams. I occasionally have time for a condensed game. But from what I've seen in just those primetime island spots, I haven't seen too many red zone offenses that are worse at execution than the Giants and that are worse at play calling. And so my whole thing is you haven't used it all year, Nick. Why not come out on first and goal? Use that same tight formation. Show it. Show you're going to run. And just leak that extra blocking tight end out. And Daniel Jones just, poop throws it over the top. He's going to be open. You haven't used it in five games. It's If you use it once in five games and you haven't put it on film yet, he's probably going to be open. Worst case, you get yourself back into the spot where you can run it again, I guess, if you want. But, man, this team running the ball, it's, like, crazy to me. It's kind of like throwing paint. I'm trying to think of the right analogy or example for this, Nick, but you know you don't have a great center in the game in Billy Price, who hasn't been winning at the point of attack very well. You know you're down to your fourth string left guard, who's not great at the point of attack. You know Will Hernandez, even though he was billed as supposed to be, is not great at the point of attack. You know Nate Solder is not great at the point of attack. You know you don't really have tight ends who are great at the point of attack. So why are you trying to jam the football in with your run game when you don't even have Barkley on the field? Like, look at that Saints touchdown to win the game last week. That was all Barkley. It was a terribly blocked play that Barkley just kind of did on his own. And you might get those out of Barkley, him jumping over the pile, whatever it may be, to get the. But you're not going to get that from Booker with a bad line that doesn't win at the point of attack. So... I mean, I hated to see them go run, run. And then finally, want to get your take on that last play. To me, to me, Nick, it looked like Jones kind of improvised here because I've watched this play like 12 times. And I can't figure it out. It doesn't look like the blocking is in in you in unison or in sync with what would be like a design run for Jones. Rudolph obviously looks lost on here and his effort is terrible here for Jones, not blocking to the edge. And so it kind of feels like they the entire Giants offense felt like this is going to be another run to Booker. And Jones kind of saw that that wasn't going to work. And was like, I, I could get to the edge. And then when he couldn't get to the edge, he was like, you know what? I remember that two-point conversion where I barreled over the defensive lineman, the interior guy, and just shouldered him down for the I'll try it again. And obviously it led to the concussion. But want to get your thoughts on those first two plays, uh, the idea of potentially running a play-action tight end leak out, and then final, finally that fourth, uh, I'm sorry, that third and goal. I want to see a play action tight end leak out, man. We saw Lee Smith score on something similar to that against the Giants back in week three, the Atlanta Falcons, Lee Smith, a prime blocking tight end, getting a touchdown against the Giants. But what tight end hasn't scored against the Giants? It seems like everybody has except for Dalton Schultz who dropped that touchdown in this game. But honestly, man, the best blocked up play was the one that Daniel Jones decided to keep. So for those who, who didn't, well, we didn't have this on YouTube. So the Giants again, put Nate Solder this time, on the right side next to Matt Parrott as a big tight end, along with Caden Smith, probably the best blocking tight end. And Kyle Rudolph was the left tackle on this play. And you have Evan Ingram directly behind Nate Solder and then Elijah Penny offset in an offset eye type of formation, I guess you could say. So there's a lot of beef 
on the right side of that line. And on the first two plays, the same exact thing happened. Evan Ingram's tasked to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage, and Elijah Penny's supposed to follow and pick up the next closest defender. But on both plays, Micah Parsons shoots, and nobody picks up Micah Parsons. He blows up both of those plays. That is an excellent play by the rookie out of Penn State. But on this third play, Caden Smith does a good enough job kind of knocking 93, who has his hand in his dirt, down, and then just kind of taking his inside shoulder and getting to Micah Parsons' knees and taking Micah Parsons out. So this would have been an easy touchdown if Daniel Jones handed the football off to Devontae Booker here. And I do believe that this was Daniel Jones just keeping it himself. If you watch the, or the left side of the line of scrimmage, Kyle Rudolph and, and Wes Martin, they do not look like they anticipate somebody rolling out. And I, I don't think the Giants were going to have both of those players attack the inside shoulder of both of those guys and not have them attack the outside shoulder where they could flow over and then stop Daniel Jones like they did. I think this was a Jones decision. I can't be certain, but that's what it looks like to me. I see people slamming Kyle Rudolph on, on Twitter and everything for this play. To me, it, it appears like he was unaware that Daniel Jones was keeping this. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I'm not going to slam him for that. I felt the same way that he was unaware. Um, then I guess just kind of not the best decision by Jones is where we'll settle on that, right? Like should have probably just went with the play call. Probably if that's the case, again, I can't be certain. And again, right. it's so it sucks, man. And this is the Giants 2021 luck again here. The best blocked up play out of the three plays, the same exact plays was easily this third play. Michael Parsons had no chance of getting there because of Caden Smith. But of course, on the first two tries, that wasn't the case. Leighton Vander Esch gets caught up too by Caden. Caden Smith kind of takes out three guys on this play. Now, he didn't do it in the previous two plays, but he takes 93 down with Nate Solder, then hits Micah Parsons, and then his hip swings into Leighton Vander Esch and stops Vander Esch. That is a, that is a unique uh, play there from Caden Smith. It's just unfortunate the Giants didn't hand the football off. Yeah, and just not the first time this year, Nick, because we talked about it in the in the Washington game, that we're talking about a series where the Giants ran from the same look, the same play over and over. Remember when they played not to lose against the Washington football team, ultimately costing them the game by not trying to score a touchdown after the Bradbury interception, they ran the same play. <laughs> you know, they flipped it, but they ran the same play twice in a row. So not working for them, probably not advisable moving forward. I hope they stop that. I don't know if that's judge. I don't know if that's Garrett, but they've done it twice down five games and bad results every time. So and so ultimately, the Giants do punch it in, kind of rush one in here, rush a play in, and Booker gets the one-yard touchdown run. So it's a 10-10 game. But, I mean, we all know at this point it should be worse than that. Dallas had the drop touchdown to Schultz, which was bad coverage by the Giants, and they had the random once-in-every-50-games fumbled exchange uh, that took at least three, but more likely seven off the board. And what do the Cowboys do? Eight plays, 75 yards, touchdown drive. So now, of course, that play was only... I mean, that drive, I'm sorry, was two minutes and 15 seconds, like a two minute, another one of these just before the half, two minute offenses, the Giants can't stop. But we're talking about the next pod, the defensive breakdown. Either way, Giants come out of the half now. No Jones, Glennon instead, down 17-10. And they actually start off with that Tony uh, deep, the, you know, that Tony pass where he runs that really nice route. What did you make of that? Oh, it was such a beautiful route. Broke it down on the YouTube Looks like uh, Trevon Diggs anticipated the ball coming out a little bit quicker, tried to undercut it, got a little bit greedy. And I don't even know how Tony is able to contort his body and, and pivot off of that inside foot to just kind of get back outside. Creates just substantial separation on Trevon Diggs, one of the better cornerbacks in the National Football League. And that accelerates and almost gets past Diggs. I mean, that's just really, really impressive. Kadarius Tony has a lot of shades of a superstar in the making. And I don't think that's really 
hyperbole at, at, at this point. A lot of things have to happen. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but he definitely has the natural traits to become that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the Kateri Stoney video. One more shout out to that. Check it out on YouTube. We break, we do it just like this. We break it down just like this. We actually have the video to show you the All 22 Coaches film. So I think you'll love it. Just get into it. Help us out. Support us that way as well. Obviously, good stuff. But um, yeah, like I said, this is the route where you see. Okay, well, this is the Antonio Brown type upside. If this guy can hone in his skill set, he obviously has the natural talent to seamlessly pivot in that kind of route and create separation, create in a lot of separation. And that's the name of the game. If he can create that kind of separation on a, on a regular basis, he's going to be impossible to cover. He really is, just like Brown was during his prime seasons uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And even now, Antonio Brown, man, just put up a monster game for the Bucs. He's still hard to cover, even in his older age. So Giants end up settling for a field goal kind of after that, you know, fumbled snap on the third and four. And even the second down, you know, they, they just kind of bogged down there. So now they're down, what was it, 17-13? Bang, another touchdown drive from the Cowboys. That's back-to-back if you're counting on the stat sheet at home. So it's 24-13 at this point, and Glennon takes the deep shot to C.J. Board. I, I have a lot of questions about this. Why is C.J. Board running this route? Now John Ross, um, maybe for the element of surprise, but you don't really want C.J. Board running vert routes. And Glennon, man, you have the whole field. Why not throw that lead him uh, toward the middle of the field there? He kind of just lofts it up there for the corner to make a play on it. And there was protection there too. That's probably the most disappointing part. And if you look at the point where Mike Glennon releases this football, CJ board is starting to create separation on Diggs, And then you see Diggs just kind of turn on a second gear and get to CJ boards inside hip. And the ball ends up kind of dying on Mike, Mike Glennon coming out of Mike Glennon's arm and CJ board has to slow down. But if Mike Glennon, like goes back to rookie year, Mike Glennon, when he's upsetting the Pittsburgh Steelers as the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers, shout out to that game. I remember cause I got eliminated from a survivor pool back then. Mike yeah. Glennon. He has a touchdown here because CJ board seems to have Trayvon Diggs beat. If he led CJ board a little bit more, put a little bit more air under this and hit CJ board when CJ board was around the 20 yard line, instead of like the 29 or whatever it was, this could have possibly been a touchdown, but a great play overall recovery from Trevon Diggs. And the guy has just excellent ball skills. Really, really definitely. You could tell he's related to Stefan Diggs. Yeah, no doubt about it. Giants then hold the Cowboys here to a field goal, but it's now 27-13, two-score game. And I know a lot of people, or, or not a lot, but one person specifically asked me, and, he, and shout out because um, Dylan Ross, he asked me to break down um, Mike Glennon a little bit in this game because obviously he felt like the Giants get a little bit more out of Glennon than they did out of McCoy. And I agree. I mean, I really do agree. They can do more things in the passing game from a vertical standpoint and from actual chance of moving the football. And they have a pretty nice drive down 27-13. They go 10 plays, 73 yards. It ends on downs. Um, obviously, Glennon tries to throw the pass designed on the rollout to the right to Tony. Tony, maybe he was pushed down. Maybe he was passing interference. Maybe it was not. But they did a few decent things on this drive. Like, obviously, the vert we talked about, like that that vertical shot to Tony we talked about on the Tony video. That's a nice play call. You get a one-on-one slot vert there. You hit Tony, and Tony makes a really good play on the football. He also had a really nice ball on a 50, uh, I'm sorry, back shoulder throw. Evan Ingram made a really, really, really nice catch on that back shoulder. We talked about the pass on the video to Tony, where it's kind of just that, 
you know, I believe it was another slant flat type route concept and correct me if I'm wrong. And Tony catches and is able to transition, restart his momentum. That's one of his best traits, the zero to 60 and break toward the outside to create 13 yards instead of like six or seven. So some good things on this drive. Glennon looked okay on this drive, uh, but obviously it ends in downs. What were your thoughts on this drive? I agree. I think Mike Glennon definitely offers a little bit more, has a more lively arm than Colt McCoy. I think Colt McCoy is a much more conservative type of quarterback, so he might mesh a little bit better with Joe Judge, if we're going to be honest. But Mike Glennon is not scared to to air the football out a little bit. I thought he had a couple of nice throws on this drive, specifically as you broke down the Kadarius Tony pass. And then that Evan Ingram throw was solid, but it was more of just a, a better transition to the back shoulder but I like how Mike Glennon put it away from the defender there was no way that that cornerback could make a play on, on the ball Evan Ingram great adjustment the Giants were in a position to put points on the board possibly score a touchdown I'm fine personally with that not being a, a penalty on the fourth and two I think it could have easily been a penalty but at the same time it, it was a little it would have been a little bit ticky tack so I'm not going to kind of get my right. hands in a bunch about that right and but turnover on downs then Cowboys man wow Nine play, 98-yard touchdown drive. Just the punch in the mouth. I mean, at this point, it's 27-13. It's still a two-score game. Like, it's not fully over yet. You're taking over with almost a full quarter left, 12-22 in the fourth. And you're only up two scores, but what a punch in the drive. This What a punch in the mouth this drive was. Holy crap, man. And so 34-13, there's another drive for the Giants. At this point, 34-13, seven minutes, 34 left in the fourth. Just like I would if it was Jones, I don't count these stats. They're garbage time stats. They're bull BS that pad the stats. They're, I don't like them. I don't like how people uh, cite them later to make arguments, to make their case and arguments. But, I mean, we can talk about it. Like, I don't have too much notes on this drive personally, Nick. Uh, it obviously ends with a fourth and goal where Glennon finds Avante Booker for the touchdown. They had to actually the touchdown of John Ross, which was really poor protection again. But... <laughs> Glennon made a nice throw. Ross made a nice catch, but they reversed it. They called him out, whatever. They scored with Booker on the next play. What were your thoughts? Anything Anything we can take away from this drive that we can move forward with? Yeah, speaking of getting punched in the mouth, DeMonte Casey might know a thing or two about that, despite the fact that he had a helmet on, because on <laughs> this drive, this was the one where Kadarius Tony got ejected for throwing a punch at Casey. And the Giants scored with Devontae Booker, but as you said, man, this is this is pure garbage times, 34-13. There's no way the Giants are going to come back and win this football game. You want to see some good football. You want to see the team try hard. It seemed like they were doing that all the way till the end. I guess that's something positive that you can take away, but there's not many positives to glean. And I know there are a lot of reasons for this to happen. It wasn't just totally getting outclassed. It was a bit of getting outclassed, but there were so many injuries that prevented the Giants from competing in this game as well. And I think both those things are relevant and and real because it's hard to maintain a, a game plan when you're starting quarterback, starting running back, starting wide right. receiver, left tackle aren't there. Totally fair. And I totally agree with you on that one, Nick. Obviously, finally, we get to the last time the Giants touched the ball, or not the last time, the second to last time, pick six from Glennon. Uh, I think, you know, this is part of what Glennon is. It's obvious, like, he's, <laughs> He's more of a gunslinger. He's going to throw, make mistakes, a lot more mistakes than a McCoy type. I personally prefer this type of quarterback more than a McCoy as your backup, but it's clear the Giants need to improve QB too. I've said that since the start of last year. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they need to figure out something. Uh, and and obviously, you know, in this spot, Glennon, you know, he's going to make these kind of mistakes if he's forced to start. He made those mistakes last year with Jacksonville during his starts. That's ultimately why they went back to Minshew. Um, I remember they almost had a huge upset over the Vikings, which is going to kill a lot of teams in Survivor last year. But uh, Glennon kind of started throwing picks and blow it at the end there. But 
end of game there for the offense. Let's talk about some big questions I had, and then I want to get your questions or if anything else you have on the offense, Nick. So I want to start by saying this. When it comes to the Giants' inability to pick up stunts from the offensive line, because this has been a problem for them for basically at this point a full decade, and I don't see this with every team. I truly don't see this with every team I watch, so I'm not willing to sit here and accept that this is just every team or that this is just really good scheming by the defense because I know a lot of these defensive line coaches and defensive coordinators in general are trying to scheme up stunts that are creative. So is it simply bad coaching, Nick? Is it a lack of continuity? Or is it a lack of talent that leads to these stunts being so difficult for the Giants offensive line to pick up? Because, again, they've seemingly had this issue for a decade now. What's your take on that? I don't think it's as bad as, as it looks, to be honest. And I know that's probably not a popular opinion, but there were also plenty of stunts that were picked up well in this game. And I actually thought Matt Pear and Will Hernandez did an excellent job. There were several times where those two on the right side of the line were in sync with each other. Matt Pear seemed very reactionary every time the end on ET stunts. So the tackle was going to loop around. Every time the end would act as the penetrator, Parrot was right there to, to handle the looper. And then Will Hernandez was on his game as well for a lot of the plays. So I think Dan Quinn threw a lot of stunts on them. I think some of them were successful. I don't think it was as egregious as it looks because the egregious ones were really egregious. That's my take on it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm willing to accept that and hope that you know, moving forward, it, it's also partially like if they can ever get their set five linemen that we think that might be like the guys of the future in for like an eight game stretch, this might stop in general or just might look a lot better. I don't know. I just it sucks to see for me. I mean, some of this I agree with you. It wasn't as bad maybe as as I'm making it out to be or just like as some of those really bad plays leave that taste in your mouth of it looks so bad. But I definitely like to see uh, less of it. I got a devil's advocate for you, Nick. What would be, at this point, the rationale for playing Nate Solder over Matt Parrott if both Solder or if Solder, Parrott, and Andrew Thomas are healthy? And why did it take a full game of both Solder and Parrott playing a full complement of snaps at the OT spots for the Giants to say this week, you know what? We'll try a rotation going forward, which basically is them saying we're probably going to transition to Parrott. But why does it take a full game of that. Like, why can't you figure that out from watching uh, soldiers film all year where the only times he looked competent is when you gave him help. Um, so what does it say about the coaching that this is, that it took to this point for them to start to opt, uh, you know, be open to a rotation and eventually moving paired in for solder. So I think that the coaching wanted the stability and the experience of Nate Solder on this line that has had so much change in the past. I think that's the main reason why they wanted to go with solder over someone like Matt Parrott. To me, Matt Parrott has a better anchor. Matt Parrott, his technique isn't perfect, but neither is Nate Solders at this point. I, when I watched Matt Parrott in this game on, on the first go-round, I wrote an article about it on Big Blue View. Go check it out. Shameless plug. It seems like Matt Parrott has, doesn't necessarily diversify his pass setting in terms of how he's going to attack the defender. He always kind of extends that outside arm, tries to make contact. And it seemed like some Dallas defenders, specifically Terrell Basham, who we saw a lot of, really started to anticipate that and attempt to get around Matt Pear. And that's where his technique really started to suffer. And I'm wondering if the coaching staff realizes that Matt Pear 
doesn't have the experience quite yet to be consistent and then diversify how he attacks defenders when he's in his passe. And I'm, I'm not 100% certain if that's why, but that's the only thing I can personally come up with because watching all his film, he kind of goes through the same motions and then it makes me look back on the Ravens game last year and it was consecutive plays where Matt Parrott tried doing similar things and he just got beat, 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 and then he was benched and you didn't see him for the rest of the season. I think Matt Parrott is going to be okay. I, I'm, this isn't me saying that he's not going to be okay, but I'm just trying to look for a reason as to why he wasn't starting over Nate Solder. Because when you watch both of them, you can tell, yeah, Matt Parrott, he definitely has a lot of room to grow, but way to grow is to play football. And his upside is a lot higher than Nate Solder right now. The only reason that I can think that Nate Solder was out there is just because of the experience in this current state of this offensive line that has just been ravaged by injuries and wasn't necessarily stable to begin with. Okay, that's fair. I think that's a good take. But I think at this point, it would be a bit crazy to play Nate Solder over Matt Parrott if Thomas is healthy. Would you get on board with that? I don't want to say crazy. I mean, I tr- like again, I might take crap for this, but I do trust the Giants' ability to to judge who actually is ready to step in. And I'm not sure how they want to go about Matt Parrott. I think Matt Parrott should start, personally. I'm an outsider, though. I Just from watching the tape, I think Matt Parrott should be should be starting right now. But the Giants may view this, hey, we got to be competitive. we got to win games. Nate Solders gives, gives us a better chance for whatever reason. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm not in the building as well. I don't want to call it crazy, though, because I don't think Matt Parrott has shown significant strides to where he's perfect and he's – clearly better than Nate Solder. He definitely looked better than Nate Solder. Don't get me wrong, but let defenses see how Matt Pear kind of reacts game in and game out. And then we could see if they can adjust to his pass sets and what he does. And then that could lead to a lot of different issues for Matt Pear. And this is me kind of going out on the whim and just trying to look for reasons as to why the Giants coaching staff is doing what they are doing. But overall, if you were to ask me, who would you want starting? It's Matt Pear. Well, that's okay. Cause I did ask you to play devil's advocate. So you didn't essentially do that. So thank you. You played the game. Um, I would say it's crazy for a variety of reasons. Not that I think Parrot looked all that good in pass protection. I still think he could be not so good in pass pro, but soldiers so bad in pass protection in my mind, just the, the clip. I mean, you watch this film, like anyone who takes the time to watch every snap of soldier today is going to be like, Oh my God, there's times where he just gets shoved right to the ground. There's times where he he oversets the same thing we hated from Thomas and just gets beat to the inside. There's times to get beat up the arc, literally every possible way to lose as in pass production. He has an example of that in this one game. And so Parrot can't be worse than that while also adding in the run game. We saw it on the one great blocked run play that you talked about. Great job by Parrot. Great job by Hernandez on that run play. Have we said great job by Solder on a single run play all year? No. And I mean, maybe there was one or two that we could look back on the tape in our notes and find something where he did a solid job, but definitely not a great job. And so you factor all that in with the added addition of the Giants are one in four, and they need to find out if they have something in pair. And the best way to do that is to get more of a sample size and more reps on tape. You also add in the fact that, um, well, th- th- no, that's it. That's simply it. And you also, no, sorry. You also add in the fact that, you know what, for as much as the, was been made about, oh, you didn't have the preseason and you didn't have the training camp, yada, yada, yada with Kadarius Tony. It doesn't really look great to me on the coaching staff that Kadarius Tony is this good already with his opportunity and for some reason couldn't see the field for three weeks. Like, 
I'm not so sure in those three weeks that he just all of a sudden learned the playbook or like made this huge, huge strides and mental jumps to, to run these routes that he's running out there or to execute these plays that he's running out there. I don't totally buy it, to be honest with you. I don't see three weeks being just a, a time of, you know, evolution in somebody's mind and what they know and how they can be out there. I think they were scared to put him out there or they were kind of set in their ways. They had their depth chart. They believed in Slayton Shepard and they just went forward with the guys they had ahead of him without moving Tony in. And clearly, clearly at this point, it's quite obvious that if Tony's not on the field, the giants are not at their best on offense. And so I'd even lead this into this, Nick, and this, I didn't even have written down, but, would you say this, Nick? Kadarius Tony has proven enough to you already that he should be on this on the field in an every snap role. Fully healthy. I don't think he has to be out there every single snap, but definitely close to it. His snap percentage should be as high as someone like Kenny Galladay, especially if you're going to use him in the manner that they use him in so many different ways. I think Kadarius Tony has proven a lot in the two games that he's basically been fully healthy. But I do understand this slow start. This is somebody who missed basically all of training camp. And I understand the Giants are also a team that is generally a little bit conservative with their with their rookies. But it's hard to just kind of plug this kid in week one when he hasn't had really any practice in the NFL quite yet. Yeah, I, I remain skeptical, to be honest with you, but I, it's OK. Like I'm just skeptical of just just just, you know, I want to say blindly, but just kind of that whole like oh, I'm not we're not in the building, so we don't know. I mean, the tape is the tape. And the tape of Solder and Tony is pretty glaring on both both regards. So we can move on. But and the Tony thing at least has a more of an argument, like you said, like, you know, he, he didn't have much time to practice. But I don't know, man, it seems like he's clear cut their best their best option right now out there. So hopefully moving forward, he won't get reburied on that depth chart. I doubt he will. At this I, I don't think he will. I think he's unless gonna... unless man, did you see the videos this week of what Judge said? Oh, my God. I uh, Nick. Nick, 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 Nick. I, 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 I wasn't. One? Which one are you referring to? Because there so were I'm referring to how the things to, uh, Judge said to Tony after the punch. He he said, "Get the f to the locker room. Get the f off the field. That was embarrassing. You're an embarrassment." And like, I just, I just like, I agree. Don't punch somebody with open fist. If you could break your hand, but like, it's just like this is not the most egregious thing ever. It's not nearly as egregious as going into a shell after the Bradbury interception and settling for a field goal that ultimately loses a game. Like that's egregious to me. That's real egregious. Like, like going and doing this, like it's like, it's not the most embarrassing thing ever. People get into fights like Odell Beckham got into a fight and I, I hope it doesn't lead to any actual discipline. We'll find out this week, like as far as playing time goes, but I, I don't know. I just wasn't fully on board with that reaction from him. I wouldn't expect anything different from Joe judge to no, be no, honest I with know. you. Of course I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. One more question I have for you on the offense. We could either wrap it up there, get to some iTunes reviews, which we haven't done in a while. And we yeah, got the superlatives too, Dan. Oh, got to do the superlatives. You're right. I totally forgot about that. But one more question for you. Given your full evaluation of what you've seen on the film from Solder this week and this year, what would you say are his biggest issues? What is he doing wrong? Is there anything you can say specifically he's doing right? You know, some of these issues like oversetting, not recognizing reacting to stunts. They, some of them surprise me because I feel like, you know, he should have some savvy and processing down at this point from playing so long. Maybe it's just the athleticism isn't there anymore. I don't know what it is. What are what are you seeing that he's doing wrong? What are some of his biggest issues? 
I would say anchor and power at this point, man. He gets bullied okay. backwards. And he's six foot eight. He's a tall guy. It's hard to maintain a low center of gravity, especially when you've been away from football and your bend and flexibility is in question because you're starting to enter your mid 30s. That's what I would probably say. I would go with that. And I think the lack of bend and the the lack of anchor are probably his biggest issues right now. Look, he fights with his hands. He strikes with his hands, his hand placement. It's not wide. He keeps things tight most of the time, but it doesn't necessarily matter because he doesn't have the power to withstand guys who are like 10 years younger than him who are flying off the ball. And he's also oversetting sometimes. And it, I would say his, his sets aren't necessarily – perfect right now. And I think when he gets abused in certain situations, similar to Andrew Thomas, as you said, he has to overcompensate, which puts him at another disadvantageous situation. And then the defender can adjust to what he's doing because there's a whole chess match going on between an offensive tackle and between an edge rusher, especially when they see each other down in and down out, and especially in games like this beat down when the giants were forced to throw the football so frequently down the stretch of the game. So I think a lot of it has to do with power. And I don't think that's going to get better. Like Matt Parrott, he can get more powerful. He's in his early twenties. Nate Solder, that's a deteriorating trait for him. So I don't necessarily envision that getting any better for Nate Solder. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Let's get to some superlatives now for the giants. And let's start with the unheralded player on the game film that you saw. For me, it's going to be Matt Parrott. A lot of people are talking about Matt Parrott right now, and I think it's mostly because the expectations of Matt Parrott heading into the season were high, didn't end up starting. A lot of us were upset about that, rightfully so, and then we all thought maybe he is not doing all that well. Maybe he does suck, like all those things kind of running through our mind. He stepped in here, don't think he was perfect, but I think he held his own well. Didn't have to go up against Randy Gregory, which is lucky for him. He He got to handle the Terrell Bashams of the world and players like that. But I felt like he played adequately. I, I felt like it was a, a solid performance by Matt Parrott in a game where there weren't many solid performances by New York Giants on the offensive or defensive side of the football. So I'm going to go with Matt Parrott. That's a good one. I think that's the obvious one, too. Um, but I'm actually going to go with somebody who I really like to watch. Even, you know, wasn't targeted all that often. But I did watch his routes to see if he could carry over the momentum from last week, even without the volume and the targets. But you're not, you know, in his power. That's not something he can control. And that's John Ross. I really liked how John Ross ran his routes. I think Jones missed him on a couple balls. That could have been big plays that Ross created a little bit of separation on. There are a few plays where he created a lot of separation and didn't get the ball. And I think in general, man, his speed and his ability to break down and get in and out of his breaks, in addition to just what he offers, uh, just pure straight line, it creates space. It does create space for this offense and other players in this offense. And I really think the Giants offense is good when Ross is on the field for that reason. And because he can connect and he can make those big plays if he gets the opportunity and gets an on, you know, a, 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 tar, a, a well-placed target, I should say. So Ross would be my pick. Yeah, good. I'm happy you saw that too. Yeah, what's your best route, my man? <laughs> best route of the game is the same. I mean, like, there's nothing to, like, we don't need to get cute with these and pick things that aren't the right answer. If there's a stone-cold right answer, that the nuts, as we call it in poker, then nuts. let's just call it like it is. And that's the Kadarius-Tony route against uh, Trayvon Diggs in the second half. I mean, that's brilliant stuff. It's one of the best routes any Giants receivers run in a very long time. Absolutely. No no need to uh, go over that because I 100% agree with you. What, what What's your best throw, my friend? Yeah, and we went just as one more shameless plug. We did go over that route in depth on the Big Blue Banter YouTube page on our uh, film breakdown review, where we, again we give the uh, you know we give the uh, what's it called the overlay the the voiceover while breaking down the film. So check that out. But the best throw to me was the one you wrote down, Nick. I I, I don't to be honest with you, I didn't think this was a game that featured many good throws. 
between the two quarterbacks. I'll be completely honest. There was though. I, I think the one you're talking about is the one I agree with when Jones has to throw off his back foot and just kind of gets the ball to a spot where Tony can make a catch. Is that the deep pass you're referring to? Yep. Yeah. And, and that is it. That's probably the best throw. But this wasn't, at least from my perspective, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't feel like this was a game with a lot of good throws from the quarterbacks. No, there really wasn't. And that's one reason why they weren't all that effective on the offensive side of the football. And you only had Daniel Jones for a half. And Daniel Jones right. was pretty bad in the first few drives. I mean, the first completed pass, which I don't even think it was counted as a pass, was a throwback to Kadarius Tony, And then Kadarius Tony threw it to Devontae Booker. And then Booker ended up dropping the ball. <laughs> so it wasn't a lot of passing going on in the first quarter for the Giants. Speaking of that play, that's my play call of the game. The throwback screen, Tony to Booker. I just envisioned a world where that's Barkley getting it. He catches it smoothly. Better pass from Tony, I guess, or just a better reception from the back. That we have better athleticism on the line. Some we have some guard who can get out there in space. And Barkley houses that thing because if you look at that thing on all 22, that play called by Garrett, man, they have three blockers and there's two Cowboys defenders and a whole lot of grass. It's turf there, but a whole lot of open space. So that with Barkley can turn into a touchdown. And that's the kind of play that can change a game. That's kind of play that can change a season if it changes a game. So that's my uh, play of the week. And the best part about that play too was the fact that the Giants put it on tape last week and then tagged it with something else at a new little wrinkle. And that was the throwback to Devonte Booker last week. They just threw it to Kadarius. Tony had a couple people run routes this week. They had John Ross streaking down the middle of the field opposite of Kadarius Tony on the opposite side of the field with his hand in the air to get the attention of the safety, to drag that cornerback away, to open up the alley for Devonte Booker and three linemen on that side. There were only two Dallas defenders from the hash to the sideline on that side. If Booker caught that pass. That could have been a 25 to 30 yard gain there. As we said on the YouTube as well, another shameless plug for me. It was the <laughs> it was the Kadarius Tony, the same play that we had for the best route. I like that play call because he's faking the deep over, the faking kind of the over of the Yankee concept off of play action, getting that cornerback to follow him in man coverage, and then breaking off the inside foot and just having nothing but space to the outside. So I loved that play call and the little adjustment and wrinkle that Garrett had there as well. Wonder how many shameless YouTube page plugs we can get in in one episode. Because I'm going, I'm keep going. I'm not done yet. But best player overall for me, Kadarius Tony. This is a non-starter for me. I don't think anyone else can be in the discussion. Is anyone else even in the discussion here, Nick? No, no, not for me. It's Kadarius Tony, and it's not even close. And this is like really good in my mind because this Giants team. I had this discussion tonight on a on a podcast I joined or a YouTube live video I joined with the Giants guys. Shout out to those guys. They did a great job, and and it was fun. And we talked about how this team really lacks superstars, right? Like Dave Gettleman hasn't really drafted any lock in all pro superstars, but he might've finally found one. There is Tony man. And I know some people will say Barkley's that, but I'm very down on the running back position, making enough of a difference for that to really be the case. But as far as like positions that matter, superstars, Kadarius Tony could be that today. He wasn't in this game. He was a superstar. He put the team on his back 10 for 189. He generated almost all of the offense for the Giants. And at times they, they weren't really in the game, but they were somewhat competitive for a little while in part, thanks to him. So he gets my pick. He gets your pick pass blocking scale of one to 10 with decimals. What's your grade? 3.2. Yeah, I'm at 3.1. Um, you know, Solder. Uh, if I could give just the snaps when Daniel Jones was in a grade, I'll give that a 1.6. I thought for some <laughs> odd reason, and I don't know why, they blocked a lot better for Mike Lennon this game. I don't really know why. Maybe it was just circumstance. Maybe it's just how the Cowboys played him as well. 
But, you know, combined grade 3.1, solder deserves a 0.02, uh, you know, higher than my blood alcohol. <laughs> I was trying to think of some joke there, but nothing good on that front. But let's move on. Run blocking grade 1 to 10. I had a 3.7. I'm at 3.4. Um, you know, they had that one really nice blocked up play. There seemed like a couple, like they had a puller on a, on the Rashad Penny play. I feel like that was decently blocked, but Penny's just kind of not the guy. This is again, like, I don't know why they run Penny to the outside. It's one of the weirdest things they do. Like every time they, like, this is like the second time it happened this season where they have designed puller, uh, a play with a, I think it was Wig or um, not Wiggins, Martin or, what, geez, what, I'm forgetting the left guard's name right now. I'm blanking. West Martin. West Martin. Yeah. Martin pulling and Penny running behind him, like on an outside run. Like, don't do that. We don't need that. Put in Brightwell or something for that. Like, Penny shouldn't be going horizontally, laterally. Please, please. But um, 3.4 for me, 3.7 for you. We'll wrap up there. We're actually going to hit the iTunes stuff. We'll do it on the defensive pod because those are typically shorter. So, on that note, thanks again to everybody tuning in. Please, please, if you haven't already, follow us on spotify and subscribe to us on itunes leave us a rating and review if you haven't already hopefully it's five stars if you do leave a question in the ratings and reviews and we'll answer that uh we will it's not always going to be timely but we will do our best and off season will be really really nice and timely with that as well um otherwise have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com